Welcome to Todd's World. Thanks for joining us. I'm Todd Allen. Today, we have Witness Episode 7, The Fellowship of the Witness. This is an original audio fiction series about the end times written and performed by me. Will and Carrie join me on the companion podcast on Wednesdays to explore that week's episode. Don't miss that. It adds a lot to the story. Plus, it's just a good time. Uh, We love hanging out and talking about both Insurrection and Witness. So join us. I think you'll like it. Also, if you haven't checked out Insurrection yet, go back and listen to it. I was just talking to um, a listener, Mike, this week or this past week. And uh, he was talking about how he, you know, he loved insurrection, but he hadn't lis- listened to witness yet. They're both there, both on the same site. Uh, so if you're just listening to witness and you haven't listened to insurrection, go back. All the episodes are available for insurrection. And then you'll be caught up for insurrection season two, which is coming later this summer. Also, if you prefer to read it, or if you want the paperback, the paperback for insurrection is out and available on Amazon right now. And within a couple of weeks uh, of when the final episode for the, this first season of witness is done, we'll have the paperback out for the first season of witness too. So check that out. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Todd's world, 2023. Also on truth social at the Todd Allen show. And I'm on TikTok uh, at Todd's world, 2023. And I'm getting a little more active on TikTok. So follow us on any of those platforms and get in touch. Tell us what you think of the show. We'd love to hear from you. And you can find clips of the show and share them with your friends. Toddsworld.net is where all the merch is. So the Insurrection, the Witness merch. There's some cool Trump 2024 merch on there if you're a Trump fan. Uh, If you enjoy the show, tell your friends and family about it. We absolutely need to grow the show and get more listeners. And there is nothing that is as effective as a referral from a friend who already loves the show. Okay, we got to wrap this up and get on with the episode before Will starts throwing things at his truck radio. As always, this is a work of fiction. All names, characters, businesses, places, and events, even those based on real people or events, are entirely fictional. The sole product of the author's expansive imagination. Any resemblance to actual persons living or dead is purely coincidental and fictional. Now, for the seventh episode of Witness. Episode 7, The Fellowship of the Witness Only a week before November, and Michigan's Upper Peninsula still had received no more than a few dustings of snow, all of which had melted nearly as soon as they fell. The nights had turned cold, but by midday the temperatures hovered in the 40s and 50s. Highly unusual. But for Lucas and L., Highly unusual was becoming the rule rather than the exception. Still, it wouldn't last much longer. Winter would blow in soon enough and settle in for a long stay. 
He was up early. There was still an hour before sunrise, and Lucas was bundled up against the cold, enjoying a hot cup of coffee on the covered porch of his cabin as the darkness grudgingly gave way to dawn's first light. It had gotten down into the 20s the night before. A thin film of frost covered the ground and the flock of RVs gathered in the clearing. Lucas's breath puffed out in steamy clouds between sips. Still, it was quiet, and he enjoyed the peace of the early mornings before the herd was up and moving for the day. It had been almost a week since Jim and Bev Hansen had pulled into what had always been Lucas's private little piece of God's country carved out of the northern wilderness. So much for the private part. More people in RVs had shown up in the week following, and now his cabin in the woods looked more like a campground. He had given up trying to wrap his head around any of it. Jesus had shown up and given him a mission to do. And though Lucas was to be the tip of the spear, God apparently intended to surround him with something of an entourage. Lucas didn't understand any of it much. But then, understanding seemingly wasn't necessary to the mission at hand. He remembered the young Middle Eastern man extending his hand to Lucas and leading him into the dark, away from the fire. Just do that, Jesus had said. Let me lead every day and follow me. Such was the nature of his deployment. The front door opened, and Lucas turned to see Elle bundled up and coming out to join him in the early morning darkness with her own steaming coffee in hand. Lucas smiled in the gloom of the porch. Good morning. Elle came and sat down in the chair next to him. She had a large fuzzy blanket wrapped around her shoulders. Good morning, Grandfather Witness, she said, smiling back, her face still puffy from sleep. Lucas laughed and gestured with his coffee mug at the surrounding campers. The minions are still huddled in their trailers. Al raised her cup in a mock toast. To the minions. Yes, indeed, Lucas replied. It's supposed to be warm this afternoon, sunny in mid-fifties. I thought maybe we could take the new bikes out for a trial run. Ah, yes, the magic motorcycles, Elle said. Do you think we even have to steer them, or will the angels keep them upright for us? God helps those who help themselves, granddaughter. Lucas took another drink of coffee. It cooled off quickly in the cold morning air. I'm not sure I know how to ride, Elle stated for the record. I haven't ridden in almost 40 years myself. Well, 70 years now, I guess. I forget to account for my 30-year nap. Still, I expect whatever magic is in those bikes will rub off, and we'll pick it up fairly easily. Elle nodded, like Frosty's old silk hat. Lucas laughed. Exactly. Elle looked over at her grandfather in the growing twilight of the dawn. This Indian summer we've had ever since you flew back to Earth is bound to break soon. We should head south soon. I think we should pack everyone up and take this traveling circus on the road by this weekend. I agree. The time has come, Lucas said, staring off into the woods beyond the RVs. 
As much as I hate the idea of leaving when I apparently just finally returned. Elle sighed, and her breath turned to steam in the frosty morning chill. I know. Me too. I wish he had given us more time here together. Would it have been too much to ask to spend the winter together getting to know each other again, before sending us on a Mad Max adventure across the country, preparing for the end of the world? You should have asked him that while he was roasting you venison over an open fire in the woods. Lucas smiled again. I did put up something of a fight. Turns out it's just hard to argue very successfully with God. Touché, El said, taking another long sip of her coffee while it was still warm. Lucas had finally told her about his dinner with Jesus in the woods sometime later the following day after Jim and Bev Hansen showed up uninvited by Lucas or Beth, but apparently having received an invitation from on high. Elle had had dreams of her own, so she wasn't as surprised as she should have been at his story. Besides, over the course of a few weeks, her life had been turned upside down. Shock and awe were becoming routine. She wouldn't have described herself as much of a Christian for most of her life. After the vanishing, what little face she may have had vanished along with everyone else. And even now, she wasn't sure where she stood on the whole thing. But her grandfather's mysterious return and all of the crazy shit sense had shaken her despondency and unbelief. To what end, she wasn't sure. She knew little about the Bible or Jesus. But something or someone was moving and at work, and her long-lost grandfather seemed to be squarely at the center of that work. You should gather up the faithful today for a powwow. Tell them what the plan is. Elle turned to look at Lucas again, assuming you have one. Lucas took a deep breath and let it out in a long, slow sigh. The morning light was brightening. The sun would be up soon. Assuming I have one, he repeated. You're the big, bad, miracle-working witness, Elle said. Lucas looked at his grown-up granddaughter. You're pretty well wrapped up in all of this your own self. I'm following your lead, Grandpa, and God's, whatever that even means. But I'm just along for the ride like everyone else. You're the one getting attacked by demon wolves and having beers in the woods with Jesus. Lucas looked back at the trailers scattered about the property. Lights were coming on inside them. Signs of life beginning to stir. For now, he said, more to himself than L but I have a feeling all that will spread out some as the adventure takes hold. Elle didn't know what he meant, but she didn't pursue it any further. Her grandfather spoke in cryptic tones and riddles at times, but then she figured that probably went with the territory, albeit a frontier never traversed before. You must have some idea where we're heading, she said, but when she glanced at him, the look on his face wasn't encouraging. Well, regardless, you need to come up with something. I feel like the minions are getting restless. I know this minion is. With that, she rose from her chair and took his empty coffee cup from him. I'll refresh our cups while you work on that, she said, smiling as she turned for the door, her big blanket still wrapped around her to ward off the cold. Jim Hansen was already up walking around his fifth wheel. He had a travel mug of hot coffee in one hand 
and with his other hand, he waved at Lucas on the porch. Lucas waved back. It was light enough now to read, and Lucas reached for the Bible waiting on the table beside him. Since Jesus hadn't shown up for breakfast with any instructions or sausage, Lucas couldn't think of anywhere else to look for guidance. He breathed a quick prayer to God for assistance, then opened up the prophets and began to read. Twelve of them sat together in a circle around a late morning fire Jim had built with Susie's help. Lenny had supervised, alternating his attention from the growing fire to the birds flitting in and out of the trees. He had a monocular he kept on his person at all times, ready to pull from his pocket at the distinctive song of a red-headed warbler or whatever bird happened to tip his hat back. Lenny always wore a ball cap over his long-grained, shoulder-length hair, sometimes pulled up in a ponytail. Today's flavor had Kid Rock emblazoned on the front in bold block letters. A retired high school science teacher from Waukesha, Wisconsin, Lenny Lang and his wife Paula bought a small teardrop camper to pull behind their Subaru Outback while they camped their way around the country in the golden years of their retirement. Their only son, Richie, had moved to the West Coast after college, and though he came back to visit every year during the holidays, and Lenny and Paula went out to see him a couple of times a year, still, they found themselves with nothing but time on their hands. They'd always enjoyed camping, and it was a natural fit for a few years until the vanishings began. Fortunately, their family was largely untouched by the strange phenomenon. Unfortunately, normal, run-of-the-mill death and disease hadn't taken a holiday during the vanishing, and as the disappearances around the world peaked, Paula had been diagnosed with advanced breast cancer. Stage 4, by the time they found it, the cancer had already metastasized to her liver. The doctors threw a few chemo treatments at it just to say they tried, but it was an effort in futility. The game was over almost before it started, and seven months later, Paula was dead. Richie flew back to the West Coast, and Lenny was left to travel the country and find the birds in his worn field journal alone. His relationship with Richie tailed off after Paula's death. Turns out she had been the glue holding the family together, and without her, the ties that bind didn't, and Lenny and Richie drifted apart, suffering their shared grief and loss alone. Lenny found solace in camping and birding. He couldn't stand being in the home they had shared without her, so he left. And if traveling alone was sometimes lonely, at least he enjoyed the great outdoors and nights at a campfire lit up by a million stars. Paula was one of those stars, and he felt closest to her when he was camping. He slept soundly, knowing she was looking down on him. At home, he was restless and anxious. Surrounded by four walls, he couldn't sleep without copious amounts of whiskey or weed. And even then, his dreams were dark. The house was too haunted. Paula's ghost was behind every corner. Even when he was at home, he had taken to sleeping in the teardrop camper in the driveway more often than not. Long an avowed atheist, Lenny had been terrified by the dream. He was staying at a state campground in the Ozarks the night he had the dream, 
sleeping in the small camper when he woke to someone banging loudly on the camper's metal side door. Lenny had shaken the sleep from his eyes, pulled on one of the seven or eight ball caps he kept in the camper, and grabbed his revolver from the shelf behind his pillow. More banging. The small trailer was shaking from the pounding. Lenny turned the lever handle and kicked the door open. His revolver trained on the opening. But the door just banged open against the side of the trailer. There was no one outside. Lenny swung his legs through the opening and climbed out of the trailer. He looked around the campsite, but the woods were empty. Through the trees, he could see another camper set up five sites away, with low-watt lights strung outside around the awning. What the? Lenny was baffled. He retrieved his flashlight from just inside the trailer and shined it all around the campsite. Under the car, under the trailer, nothing, anywhere. Then he heard a loud chirp, and he swung the flashlight toward the table. A bright red cardinal stood on the wooden picnic table, pondering Lenny with his shiny black eyes. Lenny switched the light off. The stars were bright and the moon was out, and he could see the cardinal's head tilting back and forth, watching Lenny. Then the cardinal spoke or at least Lenny heard a voice in his mind which he attributed to the bird. There is a God, Lenny, the voice said. Lenny looked around again for another source of the voice, then settled his eyes back on the cardinal. Are you talking to me? he asked the bird. The bird just looked at him, tilting his head first to the left, then to the right. It chirped again, a bird voice this time, beyond the scope of Lenny's field guide. Then the voice in his mind spoke again. There is a devil, too, and he's raising up a dark spirit to rule the world. Lenny flicked the flashlight back on and swung the beam of light in another arc around the campsite. Nothing but empty brush and trees. He settled the light back on the cardinal again, and the bird chirped loudly and did a little dance on the picnic table top. Then the bird hopped onto the ground, and walked to the trail leading down the hill to the river. The cardinal looked back at Lenny, then turned and walked a few more feet down the trail, then turned back to regard Lenny again from its dark eyes. You want me to follow you? Lenny asked. He gripped the revolver tightly in his right hand, though his finger wasn't on the trigger. The bird turned back around and flitted a few more feet down the trail. Then it paused again, and looked back at him. Lenny glanced around himself, but the campsite was still empty except for the cardinal. He took a few tentative steps toward the bird, and the bird flitted another few feet, leading him on. Lenny began walking, following the bird. The cardinal, meanwhile, flew up to the branch of a small bush farther down the trail, and as Lenny got closer, he flew off again to another branch even farther down the trail. This cat-and-mouse game of follow-the-feathered nighttime friend led him on until he heard the sound of rushing water through the woods. The trail finally broke out of the woods and onto the open, grassy bank of the river. He had been down to the river the day before, but it looked different in the moonlight. The water seemed higher and faster, with lumps of floating debris. The cardinal chirped again. He was perched on a stump close to the water. Then he heard the voice again. Head north, 
and find my witness. The stars will all go dark, and the rivers will run with blood. Lenny looked back at the river. Cold dread ran down his spine, and he shivered in the night air. He flicked on the flashlight and knew what he would see. He shined the light over the water, and in the half-lit darkness, the water flowed blood red under the moon, and the lumps of debris were human bodies, and there were hundreds of them, floating with the current, corpses adrift in a river of death. Lenny heard himself begin to scream in his dream, and then he woke up panting, sweating, screaming in his sleep. Lenny looked around the fire at the people he hardly knew and wondered how he had come to be in that place. Then Lucas Young, the owner of the cabin and property where they were gathered, spoke. Lucas began by telling them all his story, starting with how he disappeared and then found himself back in his plane 30 years later, flying back into life and landing once more on the solid ground of Earth. He recounted his adventures since he'd been back. And finally, he told them all of his impromptu dinner in the wild with Jesus. He lapsed into silence once he finished the story, and the silence spread over the entire group. They had all been led here, and now none of them knew what to say or do next. After a few minutes of uncomfortable quiet, L finally broke the spell. Well, I guess someone needs to say something. Obviously, I wasn't present for the Beers with Jesus dinner, but I can corroborate the rest of his story. I was there 30 years ago when he flew off and never came back, and I was here three weeks ago when he dropped out of the sky back to Earth. I was with him when the demon-possessed wolf attacked, and Lynn saw the wound initially, and then the next day when it was healed. As impossible as it sounds, I believe he met with Jesus in these woods. Ever since the vanishing started, nothing has made any sense in this world. And all of you sitting around this fire, drawn here from all over the country, continues the pattern. Bruce Kroll spoke up then. Were all of us led here by dreams? I know I was. I'm not one to dream, or if I do, I don't remember them. But this dream was so real. It was like nothing else I've ever experienced. Around the circle, everyone nodded, or otherwise signaled to the affirmative. I had a dream too, Al said. Lucas turned and looked at her. She hadn't told him about a dream. We were all sitting around this very fire, and although we'd never met, I recognized every one of you. We were talking, like this, and then the sky darkened, and black clouds rolled in, and suddenly lightning struck very close to us in the woods and it sounded like a bomb had exploded. And then the fire started and jumped from tree to tree until we were surrounded by flames on all sides. You didn't tell me, Lucas said to his granddaughter. I'm telling you now. I'm telling all of you now. I should be the last one to believe any of this. I've gone through most of my life hardly believing in God. But I'm starting to believe now, she said. Tito spoke then. He had kept largely to himself since arriving a few days earlier with Susie. What happens now? Why have we all been brought together here? They all turned to Lucas looking for the answer. But then Jim Hansen spoke up instead. 
We know we have to leave before winter. Jesus told you as much, Lucas. In my dream, I was standing on the side of a road. A huge city with buildings reaching to the sky waited in the distance, and I saw a caravan of vehicles approaching, mostly RVs, but UNL were riding the motorcycles leading the pack, and a plane was following the caravan in the sky. I have no idea who was flying the plane since you were riding a motorcycle. Maybe Jesus was flying the plane, Lenny offered, and that broke the tension that had been in the air since Lucas started speaking. They laughed together at the ridiculousness of it all. But here they were, all together, around the fire, discussing their futures together. Jim's right, Lucas said. We have to leave, soon, before winter, which should have already been here by now. And wherever we go, we go together. God has brought us together for a purpose. I don't know exactly what that purpose is or how it will manifest itself, but it begins here with us. I believe others will join us along the way. Jesus gave me the mission. We are to prepare the way for his coming, rescue those we can, and prepare the rest for judgment. Let God show himself to the world in signs and wonders they can't explain away. Force Almighty God into their consciousness. That's a heavy lift, Bruce said. You're not talking about building a church with catchy rock worship songs and positive preaching. I spent the better part of my life doing that for the Lord. But the vanishing changed all that. It changed the world. A spirit of despair and despondency has taken hold. I know it well. It took hold in me. Bruce was sitting next to Bev, and she touched his knee with her hand and smiled. It took hold of many of us, she said, reaching her hand to her neck where the scar from the electrical cord noose once stood out bright and red on her skin. But God is the cure for that. He touched me through Lucas, and all of the fear and shame and despair fell away. Jim reached over and hugged his wife close to him. Tears welled in his eyes. His smile said what his voice couldn't. Lucas spoke again. God is still at work, even at the end of the age. But Bruce is right. The enemy is strong and growing stronger by the day. Something has changed in the world. I've sensed it ever since my return. We go out in love and mercy, but also violence and power. The God of Moses is rousing himself to action again. The world has hardened their hearts in advance of the truth, but the truth will break through. So when do we leave? Susie asked. Soon, Lucas answered. Let's prepare to leave by this weekend. Saturday morning we'll set out. Before then, there's one last thing for me to do here before we leave. I don't know what, but he'll show me. Once that's finished, we hit the road. The Fellowship of the Witness, Claire said, speaking for the first time. What do you mean, dear? Her mother, Lynn, asked. Like the Lord of the Rings, Claire said. They all set out from Rivendell together on a quest to take the ring to Mordor and destroy it. An apt analogy, Lenny said, though it wasn't long before the fellowship was broken. He thought of corpses floating and bobbing in a river of blood. 
Hopefully our fellowship lasts a while longer, Lucas said, rising from his chair. It's settled then. We know when we're leaving, and we know what we have to do in the meantime. I can't imagine what it must have taken for all of you to follow the Spirit's call and come here, but I'm glad you did. This is a large work, and I'm glad I don't have to face it alone. We better get moving. Tito, can I talk to you for a minute? Tito rose from his seat next to Susie. He was easily the most intimidating among them. Colorful tattoos of skulls and guns and bikes decorated his heavily muscled arms and chest and back, accenting his dark brown skin. His thick black hair was buzzed short, and his brown eyes were hard as steel. But there was a softness to the ex-con, too barely noticeable through the tough veneer of anger he had developed in order to survive in the violent world he had inhabited for so long. Still, Lucas saw loyalty and kindness in the man that most missed. But it wasn't the soft, hidden qualities Lucas needed now. It was the violence. Whatever job God had for them before they left the North Country for the winter, it was dangerous, and Tito was just the man to help. Tito joined Lucas, and they walked together toward the garage. Do you know anything about working on vehicles? Lucas asked. The dreamers, as he had taken to calling them in his mind, had all shown up so close to one another. Lucas had yet to hear all their stories. Tito side-eyed Lucas like he was ridiculous. Man, I grew up helping my uncle chop cars. There's not much work I can't do on a vehicle as long as I have the tools I need. Lucas smiled. I had a feeling that might be the case, he said as he opened the service door on the garage and flipped the light on inside. The first thing Tito saw was the motorcycles. Holy shit, those are some nice bikes. I didn't picture you as someone who rides. Well, I'm new to motorcycles, to be honest. Al and I are just picking it up. Tito ran his hand over the smooth brown leather seats. I've been riding since I was 16. I joined a club right out of high school running drugs and guns. I guess I was born for the outlaw life. It fit me like a glove. Any advice you have will be greatly appreciated, Lucas said. Al and I are going to take the bikes out today for a spin to get our feet wet with them. But the truck is my concern presently. They both turned their attention from the bikes to Lucas's old pickup truck. For obvious reasons, the old girl hasn't been run much in the last 30 years. But I want to bring it with us on our travels. I'd like you to drive it and follow Al and I on our ride today. See how it feels, if it needs a tune-up or any other work to get it ready for a long trip. Tito's eyes lit up. Sure thing, man. One of the things I missed most being in the joint was working on cars. I grew up learning from my dad. I used to help him work on cars to earn some extra money when I was a kid. Especially an older truck like this. By the time I'm done with her, she'll be running like new again. Tito opened the driver's side door to get in and get a quick feel for the truck. But his eyes went wide when he saw what was on the bench seat. And he turned back to Lucas, his concerned eyes full of questions. Lucas just nodded. That's the other thing. Man, I don't know what war you're heading to, but I'm not trying to get locked up again for some stupid shit, Tito said. 
Lucas leaned in to look at what was in the truck for himself. He had an idea what he would see, and he wasn't disappointed. A large canvas bag filled with guns and ammo belts rested on the seat. Short-barreled 12-gauge shotguns, handguns, belts with slugs and 9mm and 45 caliber rounds for the handguns. Lucas just nodded and looked at Tito. We're definitely heading into a war. Against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness in high places. But the rivers will run red with the blood of men. This is just the first battle. And I don't even know exactly what or who we're fighting yet. But this is your turf, Tito. Violence is ingrained in you. One of the reasons God brought you here. I believe your prison days are over. But that doesn't mean there won't be a cost. Tito just looked at Lucas for a minute, appraising the man he had only just met a few days earlier. The man who claimed to have flown off into the wild blue yonder for 30 years and only recently returned just in time for dinner in the woods with God. His story was unbelievable and ridiculous. Okay, I'm in, Tito said, and that was all. Really, he made his decision when he climbed into Susie's motorhome and he wasn't given to introspection or second-guessing. Lucas smiled at the ex-con. I'm glad. I feel better knowing you're with me, facing whatever we have to face. I didn't expect a prophet of God to be involved in gunfights, Tito said. Lucas opened the overhead garage door and let the midday sunlight stream in. The chrome on the bikes flashed in the sun. He took a deep breath of cool, fresh air. Me either, Tito. But here we are. There's a verse in Matthew. In the old King James, it reads, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Lucas turned back to Tito. A steely hardness crept into his eyes. In these last days, we are the violence. And whatever we win... With his help, we will take it by force.